Welcome to Gator Bites, the official business podcast of the Maryland Davies College of Business. I'm your host, Miguel Gomez, and before we begin, we'd like to invite you to follow us on our social media channels, at UHDCOB, on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and now X. Uh, today, we'll be talking with Dr. Esther Castro. Welcome to the show, Dr. Castro. Thank you for having me. Yes, of course. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about finance and you. We're going to be demystifying some complex issues about finance. We're going to get down to the nitty-gritty about what is the story behind the numbers, and we're going to talk about ways uh, to talk about leveling up your career in finance, mm-hmm. demystifying some concepts and applying some daily practical tips to your finances, as well as talking about behavioral finance, uh, the human uh, emotions that go behind it, and uh, we're going to talk about some ghost of financial crimes past. Okay, yes, sounds good. <laughs> some financial true crime. So yeah. uh, welcome, Dr. Castro. Thank um, you. So I'd like to begin. Tell us about yourself and uh, what was your pathway to where we are today? You are yes. a finance professor. Okay, so um, I'm from New Orleans. I was there my childhood. I'm a big Saints fan. I think all of my students know that by who now. That? Yeah, who that? <laughs> um, and so uh, my parents immigrated from Honduras. Mm-hmm. And so they actually went to the University of New Orleans and my dad studied finance. And I think that was probably the beginning. Um, it's funny because I don't think a lot of people did the way my my parents did growing up of like, if we would go on a trip, instead of paying for our stuff, they would make us budget before going on a trip. And then that would be the money they gave us. And then we, if we didn't have any money, then we would, you know, have to go on, you know, the dollar menu for McDonald's and that's all we had left. So I think just kind of early on, um, that was an important aspect of my upbringing and um, just kind of went along when I, I went to a small, private university called Laterno University mm-hmm. um, and I did the the student um, organizations there I did the finance student organizations that uh, kind of helped me get more involved in that and I did an internship I did it it's now Wells Fargo but back then it was called Wachovia mm-hmm. um, Investment Bank mm-hmm. and so I did my internship there and then worked um, out when I graduated in, in banking and then I even set up a uh, a tax business for the Hispanic community mm-hmm. um, and uh, decided to go back to grad school just being encouraged by others and and went to the University of New Orleans and so that's kind of my pathway from there I came here and that's kind of how I am where I am now I love to hear that and funny enough I actually just got back from New Orleans so great this city. this all comes full circle yes great yes. city no so having all that experience and being now where you are mm-hmm. as a professor um you know we want to break down to our audience the meaning of finance mm-hmm. um it can be a very big and complex topic mm-hmm. and sometimes people can sort of tune out but mm-hmm. i want to be able to explain why is finance important to our recent business graduates and mm-hmm. um how does it play in terms of from when they're hired to when they're managing yeah. and running departments yeah. So I feel like a lot of times, especially when I get students and they get really intimidated when they come into my class, and especially if they're not finance students. Um, every single time I tell people, oh yeah, I teach finance, they're like, oh, you must really like numbers. Um, and I mean, I like, I like numbers. Yes. <laughs> and yes, numbers have a big part in finance, but really there is another significant portion in finance that a lot of people kind of don't think about, and that is Um, what to do with those numbers and critical thinking of like when you see numbers what are your thoughts about those numbers and what are you going to do with those numbers decision making is a big part of finance and so a lot of people kind of 
don't realize that portion of finance and those are important aspects that you need to know um, even going into your career and so um, in my classes I actually ask a lot of times students to read the Wall Street Journal mm. and um, and I encourage that for anybody who is going to be going into an interview um, hey read the Wall Street Journal in your interview I think it will look good if you knew how those concepts could impact your future employer um, and so knowing that um, even in the business world I think goes a long way to um, to showing that you care right, right. Um, at the same time you know we we do talk about the numbers if you're in a in, in a company look at their financials where is the financial position that company's at mm -hmm. I think it's good to know the kind of the big picture you know, this is the big picture the company is at, you know, financially. And then that will help you understand your own role in that company and maybe ways to kind of improve um, your company in that way. And, and then hopefully you will get into that manager position. I think if you show that you care and you show that you know what is the big picture is and how what your role is in that big picture, um, getting into that manager position may be a little bit easier that way. And then you're making decisions. Mm. So it's all about, well, how will your decision impact that company financially? Um, even if you're not in a financial role, you still need to know how your decision, maybe your marketing decision, how that is going to impact the company financially. Knowing maybe you're going to have to argue and try to find budgets. Um, you need to know, well, if you have that as an argument, hey, what I'm going to do is going to improve your company financially. That's a good way to have um, some good evidence for what you're what you're wanting to back, either de decision wise or budget wise. You know, everything you just said is definitely true, and more so the reading of the Wall Street Journal. Uh, for example, just being aware of what's happening in the mm -hmm. world and in markets gives you an insight as to how it impacts industries, especially if you're trying to uh, go into an industry that affects uh, prices in terms mm -hmm. of commodities. Um, you better know what's going on in the markets, mm -hmm. whether it's up, it's down. Right. And um, more so now, it also plays into the human element, mm -hmm. into decision-making yeah. in finance and in business. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to go ahead and ask you about that. Um, emotions are at a core of the human experience, mm -hmm. and part of that is you can't separate the numbers from the emotions. So mm -hmm. uh, tell us a little bit about uh, behavioral finance, yeah. and what role do emotions play alongside the numbers and figures in a publicly traded company? Yeah, I think that is more and more becoming important, and we're seeing even in our schools talking about behavioral finance. Mm -hmm. You know, in traditional finance, it's all about, you know, we're saying these are the factors that that um, impact prices are things like your earning potential, mm -hmm. or um, a lot of times we like to talk about the capital asset pricing model, mm -hmm. and I'm pretty sure every finance student has heard that before. Um, and a big assumption is that um, investors are rational. And as we know, that's, that's not, the not case. realistic, right? <laughs> it's not realistic for us to be rational. And so a lot of times we do have those fears and regrets. And, and so I think it's good to know that, um, to know that like all prices, um, a stock price is all about supply and demand, right? right? And so kind of going back to that economics, it's simply supply and demand. And, and I think we could see in a couple of year, a couple years ago, right, the meme stocks. Yeah. Uh, we had GameStop, we had AMC, um, and those prices didn't reflect the true worth of that company. No. So it kind of took the traditional finance right outside the door. And instead, what really impacted was just kind of like a hurting effect. You know, Reddit said, hey, look, check out these, brought attention to GameStop. And now everybody was kind of going in and buying it. And so it wasn't because of the worth of the company. It was because... 
they didn't they had the fear of missing out they wanted to flock to it because everyone else was doing it's a hurting effect right so i think it's important to know that that happens and a lot of times it's not going to be it's a short-term effect right and so also knowing that um i think even like covid showed us um march 2020 the stock market plummeted um and i think that was based on fear everyone was afraid you know COVID is a real thing. Pandemic is now, it's officially a pandemic. Um, and so we saw people doing these things that if they would have stopped for a second to think, wait, this is a short-term effect. It's not long-term. They would have realized they should have just stayed with it instead of just selling out. What mm -hmm. we saw is a lot of rational investors actually go in and buy, right? They saw it was low, but they're going to go in and buy. And that's really what it is. It's, it's trying to have that cool, common effect and thinking, well, let's think rationally. Um, but yes, emotions are part of it. I know that I have my own biases when it comes to investing that um, it's good to be aware of. So I made my mistakes with some of these biases, some of my emotions, and, and then, okay, let's not do this again and, and learn from it. Um, because yes, like you said, the stock market um, doesn't always behave rational. Uh, but I think in the long term, you do see some rationality. You will see the like the like in 2020, the stock market bounced back, um, and so in the end, you do see a lot of rationality. But in the short term, knowing hey, let's kind of put some of my emotions aside and think about the the long term effect. That is so fascinating because time is often perceived that it's linear. It's something that is both present and at the same time it's distant and in terms of being able to think logically about a portfolio um, it's very tempting to buy low and sell high mm -hmm. and you take advantage of a situation but at the same time you have to realize that's that's not necessarily the case when you look at the foundation of what are these actually businesses produce in terms of value um, in terms of the products um, AMC had empty theater seats but at the same time the stock was going up and up Peloton, they were hoping that they could ride that mm -hmm. bicycle into the future, but at the same time, we know that people eventually went back to their traditional yeah. gyms. So it's about having that long-term mm -hmm. perspective in mm -hmm. terms of analyzing the risks yeah. and the benefits. Yeah. Um, that's something that we learned in your finance class, full <laughs> disclosure. Money is often a very big motivator factor mm -hmm. in terms of what motivates people to make moves in the market. And I wanna ask you a hard-hitting question. Um, you know, we talked about behavioral finance, but more often than not, we think back to names such as Enron, mm -hmm. WorldCom, and even Lehman Brothers. These were once shiny examples in the corporate space, but now when you say their names, they're reviled. Um, so my question to you is, what role does ethics play in finance? And what advice would you have to future business graduates in terms of navigating questionable or potentially unethical situations in their finance and banking careers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so, I mean, you were in one of my finance class and, and I'm not gonna quiz you right now, <laughs> <laughs> but but we one of the first things we talked about, right, was what is the main objective of a financial manager? Mm -hmm. And we said it was to maximize shareholder value. Right. And a lot of times that is something that we took on for the rest of that class period. Um, and really, we don't really focus on ethics. Right. And a lot of people use that objective and say, this is my excuse to do unethical things. Right. And we're going to, you know, maybe, you know, cook the books a little bit and we're going to um, hide some losses because that way it won't hurt the shareholders. Hopefully we'll we'll do better later on. 
all with that thought of maybe we're helping the shareholders, but mm-hmm. um, but you're right. Ethics is important, and um, you know that's why we have a lot of regulatory bodies that kind of provide some of those standards for us. And and as somebody who's going to be working in the industry, it's really um, their responsibility to look at those ethics, know what those standards are, and then even to look at what are the regular regulations in their own industry, right? Each industry may have different regulations, and so knowing what are the regulations for those industry. Um, you know, one of those things that you have to do is if you see something, say something, right? If you see something that's unethical, then um, report it. Report it to your supervisor, to the HR, to um, whoever you need to report it to, to the SEC even if it goes that, Ooh. if it's that big, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think that um, those names that you called Enron, Worldcom, those are good examples, right, for us to go back and remember. Like, you don't want to be on the bad end of that. You don't want to be reviled and remembered and, or have the, you know, jail time. Um, and so, hey, let's act ethically so we won't be on that end. Um, and so I think that um, – it's very telling, right, when a company is not acting ethically, and so I think it is important to, to step up and, um, you know, have that responsibility. Hmm. That's that's very sobering because this is something that still continues to this day. Mm-hmm. All we got to look back is just a few months, and we're looking at Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX. So um, yeah. it's something that is a continuing challenge to the profession, but at the same time, from what you told us, it seems as though honesty is your best policy, mm-hmm. and that's what leads to a prosperous mm-hmm. long-term career in yeah. finance. Ultimately, the truth always comes out. It always comes out. You can't hide behind the numbers. The numbers do not lie. Right, right. Yes. So many people are looking at them, so <laughs> you might as well be truthful, like you say, honest. Of course. All right. Well, I have my next question, um, and I'd like to go ahead and ask you. The main idea that people have of finance is more often than not they think about um, careers in Wall Street, careers with big investment banks, but there's another side of careers in finance when it comes to regulatory and uh, financial enforcement, such as with the Securities and Exchange Commission and even the IRS. Can you tell us a little bit about potential pathways that students might have in those areas and why um, it's important to think about these careers as a different avenue in terms yeah. of maybe finding a good fit culture-wise. Because sometimes people people aren't all about the money. Sometimes people who go into finance might have different ideas of what their careers yeah. looks like. Yeah. Um, you know, the government, they always have some jobs available for everybody, including those who want to be in the finance um, realm. And so I remember always seeing, like, the FBI asking for people who also wanted someone in the finance industry and and the IRS and like you said the SEC they need people who are auditing right who are making sure that those big corporations are doing what they are supposed to be doing right and and they're checking up on them and I think that especially for people who want to be a part of the policy right that's a good fit of hey you know let's go to the SEC because um, we want to actually make an impact in mm-hmm. financial markets. The best place to do that is with the government, and the best place to do that is is with the SEC or the Treasury because they are they have their you know their hand in that pulse of like, let's impact the financial markets for good. Let's protect investors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think for those people who want to make an impact in that way, um, maybe it's not about the money, like you said, but they want to maybe protect others. Um, that is a good route to do it. You will definitely have some job security there. Um, you know, you'll have definitely have some good benefits. Uh, maybe you won't have the pay, um, but um, you will have a lot of career growth as well. And, and so I think that is a good route to go to. 
So, Dr. Castro, I'd like to go ahead and just ask you the next question. Okay. Um, in this economy, like everyone's been saying, um, finance is already complex at the corporate level, but let's bring it down to the day-to-day. -day. Let's simplify this. Um, what are some practical day-to-day -day advice that you would give to people in terms of protecting their investments and their bank accounts in terms of inflation and uh, against a potential future recession down the line? Yeah. I mean, I think the first step is always to kind of look at what financial position you are in, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so obviously inflation is, you know, deroding a lot of your net cash flows. And so looking into your own cash flow statements, seeing what are what's coming in and what's going out, and then maybe, you know, trimming that down if, if necessary, especially if you're about to graduate and you know that, you know, you're going to have to start paying student loans. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what are some things that um, need to kind of get out so that you can start paying your student loans? You should always pay off your debt, all of your credit card um, balance, I think, are really important. Um, when it comes to a lot of inflation and, and thinking of investing in those types of assets, I think really the best um, safe way are, you know, some of your hard assets that aren't really hit by inflation that mm -hmm. much. And so um, real estate. Um, and so I can tell just from my own house and how the value has increased of my house. Um, that is a good thing, right, about having inflation up is, is my house value is also up. Right. Um, but also thinking about um, different types, the, the gold, different types of commodity that also can increase. Um, and then, you know, the treasury also have your, your tips, your, the, your treasury inflation and protection securities. And so this kind of is a, a security, a bond that um, their interest rates will fluctuate with the inflation. And so mm -hmm. that's another good way also to kind of protect um, yourself from inflation. Obviously, knowing that um, even though inflation has gone down, we see gas prices have gone up and, mm -hmm. and gas price is going to um, impact other prices, knowing that, hey, this is something that I have to also be aware of, even in my own budget um, and, and also your different types of investments. So I think those are some good ways that you can um, protect from inflation and at least be ready for it. Right. Right. It sounds like just building a diversified portfolio mm -hmm. and taking into account risk mm -hmm. uh, is a good way to at least start to yeah. protect yourself against these mm -hmm. volatilities in the market. Yeah. Um, you don't know when the price is going to go up or down, mm -hmm. but at the same time, if you spread out the risk, mm -hmm. it sounds from what you're saying that you're setting yourself up for success. Exactly. And when it comes to investment, you always want to have a diversified portfolio. And so um, with inflation, you have those specific things that can help looking at their REITs and things like that. But, but yes, you should always have a diversified portfolio for sure. Wow. Um, well, we're coming up on time. Uh, and we have just last question mm -hmm. for you. It's a two-parter. Okay. So the first part is, you know, we know that you're involved on campus with mm -hmm. a student organization called the Financial Management Association. Mm -hmm. uh, you're their academic advisor. Mm -hmm. um, what got you involved mm -hmm. on student campus in terms of being able to help this organization grow. And the last part is, what tips or advice would you have to recent or future business graduates in terms of being able to find a job in finance or banking? Mm -hmm. And what are some ways to stand out in terms of your portfolio, uh, your resume, and you know what are some mm -hmm. uh, possible ways to start in terms of getting that experience to get your foot in the door? Okay, oh, that's a lot. So the FMA, uh, the Financial Management Association, um, is definitely a good way to kind of pad that resume and grow in a lot of different areas. Um, like I said previously, I was part of a student organization when I was in college, and I feel like 
you, what you learn are some soft skills that maybe you didn't learn when you were in the classroom. And so you learn a lot about communication, um, you know, especially if you're an active member and you take on a leadership role, you are mm -hmm. learning leadership roles and, and some of those emotional intelligence that I think employers really look at. A lot of times employers aren't just looking at your, at your um, what you did, your scores, your GPA, but they want to see hey, are you going to be a good part of our team? Are you going to be someone I actually want to work with? Right. Um, and so having work with other people in these organizations and, you know, these are really student run and, you know, our leadership in our FMA, they are thinking of a lot of different opportunities, bringing in banks, you know, having the SEC. They're having, they're thinking of all of these things um, and they're growing in those, in those skills. And so I think that is something that employers look for. They're like, okay, they've worked in a team. They have a lot of initiative, um, and that's something you can get from um, not necessarily just sitting in the classroom, but by actively participating in these student organizations. Um, so that is a definitely a good way to, I think, attract employers. And, and I know that being part of different organizations and going to the conferences and, and doing these things, I think, look really, really good. And so, um, and then, yeah, looking at all the resources that um, UHD has and so I know that UHD the Career Center always have all these good events every semester and they just had their career fair and, and it was one of those things where you you know they have all of these employers come why don't students go and and actually take advantage of that and put their foot in the door and um, you know do their resume get their resume checked do the mock interview I think all of these are good preparations for career um, that um, they should take advantage of um, you know, I think it will help them calm them down when they go to the interview process um, because they've done something already similar, right? Yeah. And so um, I think that um, those are some good resources. I talked about the Wall Street Journal and, you know, I my students, that's one thing I put on the syllabus. I give them the link. I was like, here's the UHD library link. Go access the Wall Street Journal. People pay for it. You get to have it for free. Um, the library has other, like, financial data sources that you can also look at. And so there's a lot of things. I think that um, can prepare you for a career. I think it's just students being aware of it and then actually doing it. It might take time from their schedule. Um, they, especially if you're kind of an introverted person, it might take your energy and, um, but you know, you have to do it, right? You have to take that shot. You have to put that step forward to mm -hmm. really get to the career you wanna be in. And as they say in finance, this will pay dividends down the line. Yes, yeah. for sure. Uh, well, Dr. Castro, thank you so much for joining us today yeah. on this episode of uh, Gator Bites. Uh, thank you for making dollars and cents of all of this complex yeah. topics. Um, my name is Miguel Gomez. I've been your host. Our producers have been Victor Henson, Ricardo St. Serin Duran. Our set designer was Evangelina Vasquez. Follow us on social media at UHDCOB on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, X if you are getting technical about it. And remember to take a bite out of business. We'll see y'all later, Gators.